This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today, I'll continue in the series of talks that I've entitled God's Character and Promises. This will be the fifth episode in that series. It's so important for us to understand how God reveals himself, what his character is as he reveals it to his people, and what his promises are. What are the things that he says to us that do not depend on our ability or our thoughts, his promises? So today we're going to talk about a few more aspects of his character and look a little bit at some more of his promises. Before I get into that topic, though, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to contact me with any questions, you have any thoughts, anything you'd like to share with me, any discussion you'd like to start, please send me an email at ancientpaths at cantrell.cc. I'd love to hear from you. So let's look into God's character and promises. And as I've introduced each of these episodes in this series, the first question is, where is our faith? Our faith should not be in our ability to understand or to do the will of God. That's not where our faith is. Our faith is not in ourselves, not in our ability. Our faith should be in God himself, in his character, in his promises, in who he is. I'll talk about this in a future episode when I discuss Abram and how his faith was credited as righteousness. And I'll mention that Abram put his faith in a living God, a personal God who speaks to his people. Abram did not put his faith in a lifestyle or a set of doctrinal beliefs or a mindset. He put his faith in the living God. And that's where our faith needs to be, in God, not in ourselves. So how does he reveal himself? And what do the scriptures reveal about his character? I'll go back over a few of the things that I've shared before. He loves to bring order from chaos, and he's a redeemer, and he brings life from death. Those are three aspects of his character, that he brings order from chaos. When he created the heavens and the earth, he took what was very chaotic, formless, void, and he brought it into order, into his order, according to his will. So a big part of his character is that he loves to bring order from chaos. And that's comfort to me. If I'm ever in a situation where it feels quite chaotic, well, I can say that God's character is that he wants to bring order there. And he may not change the circumstances that I'm in, but he can bring order into my heart and his peace. He's a redeemer. He very often will take something that is lost and redeem it and bring it back to usefulness and back to a right relationship with him and with creation. And he brings life from death. We see that so often, that God not only heals, he also resurrects. And there are some things in our lives where they're dead. They're totally dead. And he can bring life where there is death. In previous talks, I've also talked about his characteristics of being wise and faithful loving that he actually is love, as the scripture says, his goodness, his sovereignty. If you'd like to hear more about those topics, then please go back and listen to what I've shared before. 
And today, the first thing that I'll talk about is his holiness. God is holy. And we should have a good definition of what that means because very often in worship services and in Christian conversation, we'll use the word holy. But what do we really mean by that? What does that word really mean? And there's a couple of ways to talk about it. To be holy is to be exalted, set apart. Something that is holy is devoted entirely to the Lord and the work of the Lord. God is holy. And therefore, he is worthy of complete devotion because he's perfect in goodness and righteousness. Holiness is moral purity. And it's synonymous with God's total purity and his separation from the rest of creation. And his holiness is the definition of that which is pure and righteous in all of creation. To be holy is to be set apart and dedicated. In 1 Samuel Chapter 2, verse 2, we read, No one is holy like the Lord. Psalm 99, verses 2 and 3, The Lord is great in Zion, and he is high above all the peoples. Let them praise your great name and awesome name, for he is holy. And in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, this will be very familiar, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Amen. God is holy, and he wants us to be holy. Be holy as the Lord is holy. His intention for us is to be set apart, to be set aside for the work of the Lord, to walk in him and rest in him and be holy, to move more and more into this perfection of goodness and righteousness. He wants us to share in his divine nature. And not only is he holy, but he is calling us also to be holy to be set apart, to be a city that's set on a hill. We're not going to hide that great light that he's given us. We're going to let it shine, and we need to be set apart so that people in the world know that we're set apart. Amen. Let's keep looking for opportunities to be holy, to show our holiness, so that others would turn their eyes to the Holy One of Heaven. Amen. Another characteristic that you've surely heard of and thought about even is God's omnipotence. Omni, meaning all, and potent, meaning powerful. Omnipotent, all-powerful. That's what it literally means, all-powerful. Since God is infinite, and since he possesses power, he possesses infinite power. God has the unlimited power to accomplish anything that can be accomplished. The things that God does are neither difficult nor easy for him. They're only either done or not done. Let me say that again. The things that God does are neither difficult nor easy for him. (laughs) And they're either done or not done. Boy, what a comfort, huh? Because he is omnipotent, things are not hard for him. He has the power to do anything that he wills. And he is our loving father. What a great thing to have a father who has all the power to do anything that he wills. At the same time, it's interesting to think about the things that we can do that God cannot do. We have power to sin. I can lie. I can cheat. I can be unfaithful. I can steal. Yeah, sure, there are a lot of things that we can do that he cannot do, he will not do. 
because of his purity. But he is all-powerful. In Hebrews 1 verse 3, we read that God's Son upholds all things by the word of his power. In Jeremiah 32 verse 17, O Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. Amen. There is nothing too hard for God. Matthew 19, verse 26. With God, all things are possible. Well, let's think about that. Think about the fact that with God, everything is possible. So, what do we have to fear? What do we indeed have to fear since he who is for us is so much greater than anything that could be against us? God is powerful. If you're going through a difficult time, if you're having trouble with something, God's allowing it. He's allowing it. Nothing is too hard for him. And he knows that if you will abide in him, you'll have all the power you need to get through what you're in. Now, I do some ministry in Congo, and I'll talk about it a little bit later on, the difficulties that the churches are facing right now in Congo. God has all the power that is needed to help those believers get through the very hard times. Some of them may lose their lives as they do the work that God has called them to do. So we need to define success the way that God defines success. They may lose their lives, but God gives them the strength to overcome spiritually, and he promises that even those who lose their lives for the sake of the gospel will not taste death. That's a beautiful thing. It's really wonderful. So let's remember, we need to define these terms the way God does. Life and death and success. Yeah, his ways are not our ways. Well, so much more can be said of God's character. He's a rock. He's a refuge. Let's put our faith in him, not in ourselves. Amen? And now let's look at a couple of God's promises, maybe more than that. I'll look at my notes here. As a foundation for discussions about God's promises, I usually start with 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I'll take a few minutes here just to look at this a little more closely. Peter is saying that God, in his divine power, and through his divine power, has given us, really, everything that we need for a godly life. And that's through our knowledge of him, knowing him, which is eternal life, and knowing him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So he's not calling us according to our glory or goodness or even our lovability. He's calling us according to his character, his goodness, his glory. And through his goodness and glory, he has given us really wonderful, great, precious promises. And why does he give those to us? So that we can participate in his divine nature. Amen. Holiness is one part of his nature, one of his characteristics. And that holiness is reflected here in what Peter says, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. 
that we can participate in the holiness of God through his promises, and by participating in that holiness, we are set apart, having escaped the corruption in the world. Amen. Here are a few promises that I discussed earlier. Hebrews 13.5 Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Well, let me say a few things about that right now while I look at it. I was planning just to sort of review a little bit, but if God says, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you, why would we look to money for security? Our security is in God, and he is never going to leave us. And I dare say that money will leave us. We know that. So let's keep ourselves free from that love of money, and we'll be content because God is with us, and he will never not be with us. Romans 8.28 is familiar to most everyone, I think, who listens here. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He works for good for those of us who have been called according to his purposes and those of us who love him. So let's love him and let's keep walking in his purposes. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's say it in the other direction. If a person does not hold to his teachings, he will continue in bondage and is headed for destruction, is not set free. Amen. That's a promise of God. If we hold to his teaching, then we're going to know the truth, and that truth is going to bring freedom into our lives. Amen. James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom... You should seek God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Yeah, amen. That's a real promise there. If you lack wisdom, ask God, and he'll give it to you without finding any fault in you, and don't doubt that you're going to get that wisdom. It's a promise of his. Let's move on to something that I haven't discussed before. James chapter 4, verse 7. This is a great one, and this has really been helpful to me. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Wow. Man, that's good. Submission to God and resistance against the devil. Other scriptures say that God draws close to the humble. So here we see that if we humble ourselves before the Lord, then he'll draw close to us. He will come towards us. And if we resist the devil, then he will move away from us. Amen. So let's be submissive. And let's resist those evil forces in the world and resist the sin that so often will entangle us. Let's submit ourselves to God, humble ourselves before the Lord. Amen. That's a really good promise. If we resist the devil, then he will run away. Wow. We would never know that unless God told us that, right? That's a really good promise. You can stand on it. You can absolutely stand on it. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Boy, that's really good, too. That's really wonderful. There's another if here. It's an if-then promise. If we confess our sins, then he is faithful and he'll just and he will forgive us. And not only forgive us, he'll purify us from everything that is not righteous. Our part is to confess. His part is based on his faithfulness and his justice. And because we've confessed our sins, 
it's the right thing for him to forgive and also to do the work of purifying us. Boy, there's so much comfort there. And now I want to come to a section of Jeremiah chapter 31, which I've mentioned multiple times in the podcast and want to come to now because there is a wonderful promise as God is announcing the coming new covenant through the prophet Jeremiah. Here is Jeremiah chapter 31, starting in verse 31. And as I read it, listen to how many times God says, I will. It's his work, the things that he is doing. Okay, starting in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Ah, that section is full of the promises of God. And these promises are fulfilled in Christ, and they are fulfilled in the giving of the Holy Spirit to his people, the indwelling Spirit of God and the people of God. God says, I will make a new covenant. Amen. He has done that. Remember on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you. God said, I'm going to have a new covenant coming. And Jesus said, here it is. I'm here. And this is the blood of the new covenant. So here's the new covenant. I will put my law within them. What a wonderful promise. I will write it on their hearts, no longer written on stone, but on our hearts, his law written on our hearts. He says, I'll be their God and they shall be my people. In verse 34, no longer shall each teach his brother or neighbor saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. That is in part, I think, a recognition that there will be no priestly class, no group of human beings who know God more directly than some other group of human beings. God is saying, when this new covenant comes, from the least to the greatest, everyone will know me personally and directly. Another way that I've heard it said, and I've mentioned it here, is God has no grandchildren. Amen. We're all a child of God, and all of us can run to the Father directly. We have direct access under the new covenant. Now here comes a wonderful promise. I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now that's a beauty right there. That is beautiful. God promises that he will do it. He'll forgive iniquity and he will not remember sin any longer. I've heard it said that we have a memory and God has a forgettery. It's very hard for us to forget sin. It'll often come up and bite us or our thoughts will turn towards sin even if we don't want them to. But God is saying, I will Remember their sin no more. Is it possible to forget sin? Well, God promises it. He says that he will remember our sin no longer. If you have asked the Lord to forgive you for a sin, you don't have to keep asking. 
As a matter of fact, at some point, he may not even know what you're talking about, if I could be so bold as to say that. When you ask for forgiveness, he promises to give it. And then don't take on yourself that burden that he doesn't put on you any longer. He promises to forget your sin. Amen. That'll just draw us closer to him with gratitude, thanksgiving. I also want to say, as I have at the end of most of these discussions about his character and his promises, that God promises judgment. We need to keep in mind that he tells us that there is a judgment day coming and that he doesn't show favoritism when that judgment day comes. And he is a consuming fire. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, we read, The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. The heavens will disappear with a roar. Everything that has been done on this earth will be laid bare. God has promised to bring judgment. There will be a judgment day. And for that, we can be thankful because all of the injustices, all of the wrongs, all of the terrible things that have happened on this earth will be set right and they're going to be judged correctly. And God, who is perfect, will judge perfectly. And even though we may not see how it could possibly be done, he has the authority and the ability to judge everything perfectly. That should ignite a little bit of the fear of the Lord in us, I believe, to feel, yeah, that twinge of caution, that he is a consuming fire, that he is a judge who does not show favoritism. Amen. Well, in addition to promising judgment, he promises the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful thing. In Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13, we read, So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you, then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Have you asked for the Holy Spirit? (laughs) Have you asked him? Lord, please, give us this Holy Spirit, these fountains of life. Fill me anew, God, please fill me anew with your power so that I can please you and be a blessing to other people. If your child asks for something nice, would you give them something terrible? No. And how much more so will our loving Father in Heaven give us the Holy Spirit when we ask Him? And let's keep on asking. We need to live by the Spirit, not just receive a drink, but to be constantly filled, constantly immersed in the Spirit so that we can walk in His ways. There are other promises in that scripture I just read. Ask and it'll be given to you. Now, in the Greek, the tense here is present continuous, I believe it's called. And in English, it's in the present tense. Ask and it will be given to you. But in the Greek, it's better to say or to translate it as, Go on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Continue knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who goes on asking receives. 
and the one who continues seeking finds, and the one who keeps on knocking, the door will be opened. Let's keep on. Let's keep on. Let's live out this faith, not be stagnant standing in one place. Let's keep asking. And God promises that he's going to give things to us. We're going to find what we're looking for, the things that we ask him about. And when we knock on doors, they're going to be opened. And let's continually pray. Lord, let your will be done, not my own will. Let your will be done. Amen. And let's keep on doing that. Well, just to close, I'll finish with a few thoughts here. Our faith should not be in our weakness. Our faith should not be in our inability to hear well. We're all weak. We all miss the mark. We all fail in many ways. But that's got nothing to do with God's character and his promises. Our faith is in him. Our faith is in his strength. Our faith is in his character, in his promises. This is the God that we serve. There is no other. And our faith is in him. Well, friends, until the next time, I pray that you will keep on asking, and you'll keep on seeking, and you'll keep on knocking, and that you will see the promises of God fulfilled. Keep on seeking his ways because his ways are good and they always lead to peace for the soul. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening and God bless you all.